0: Welcome back to Missing. I'm Tim here today with Lance. Lance, how are you today?
1: I'm doing fantastic today, Tim. hope everybody out there that's listening is doing fantastic. I love when we have these episodes. I say it all the time, but I love when we have these episodes that feature conversations that happened in the past because that I means something new isn't developing in whatever topic we dis- we have discussed. That's what's happening today. makes me feel good that some developments are in the works, but Tim, you know what's in the works here? Your mood. What's going on with you? How are you today? I'm doing all right. Thanks a lot for asking. Yeah, this is an episode that aired on Crawl Space
0: on September 4th, 2019. So we're going back four years, Lance, and we're bringing it to our missing audience for a few reasons. This is a conversation with Greg Overacker, who's a former bounty hunter, current private investigator, who's been helping investigate the disappearance of Brianna Maitland for years now, helping her family... And he's written a book, and it's called The Hunt for Brianna Maitland, The Relentless Pursuit of Answers to One of Vermont's Biggest Mysteries. There's a link in the show notes, and we're interviewing him this week, and that's coming out on Thursday.
1: So in airing this, it's sort of a prep for that new interview with Greg. Uh, You mentioned Bounty Hunter, you mentioned Private Investigator, and now his book is out, so he is a published author as well. And it's fantastic. If you've listened to anything that Greg has said before on this show, on either Missing or Crawl Space, you know that he's a really good storyteller, and he has a really powerful way in which he can capture the stories of these missing individuals. It's not just Brianna that he's looked into. We've dug deep with him on the Erica Franilich disappearance as well, so be sure to check those out and again the link is in the show notes for his book it is fantastic you can literally hear greg in your head if you've ever heard him before and you read his book you can hear him in your head as you're reading this
0: so this interview is just me no lance in this one and there is some cursing that we didn't beep so please take discretion while listening to this one
1: and tim as you know because you were there we did our first annual 5K, Run Walk for the Missing, uh, that supported private investigations for the missing, a nonprofit that Bruce Maitland started. That Greg Overacker is a licensed private investigator working for this nonprofit, working for these families pro bono. That's what this nonprofit does. It provides these services to families at no cost, and the nonprofit takes care of their expenses. Just wanted to send a quick thank you to everybody who attended the 5K, both virtually and in person. It was a much bigger success than i thought we exceeded our goal and just wanted to thank the town that we had it in and the public works department the recreation department police department and a sandwich company called fat larry's who provided a lot of sandwiches for us and all of the volunteers that helped out and the board so uh, stay tuned for more information on the next 5k that will support private investigations for the missing coming soon
0: All right, so I hope you enjoy this episode and make sure to check out Greg's book from Bloated Toe Publishing, link in the show notes. Thanks a lot for listening, everybody. We're gonna take a quick break here. and We'll be right back with Greg Overacker.
1: Only 4% of universities in the US are R1 research institutions and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu/visit. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Haha, in my dentist's office.
0: Terms apply. Welcome to the Crawl Space Studios, Greg Overacker. How are you, Greg? Good. How are you? I'm doing well. We uh, we are here today to uh, to speak with you about your life and career and, uh, and talk about bounty hunting a bit.
3: You're one of the few people I know that's interested in this. Really? Yeah.
0: That's kind of crazy to me. It, it's uh, a... It's such an interesting job. I know basically nothing about it other than what I've heard from you. I've I've never even watched Dog the Bound, the Bounty Hunter. Oh really? Because I feel like that's what most people think when they when they hear Bounty, yeah. Hunter, you know. Yeah. Because he that's was odd. so out there with his look and everything, like you know.
3: Championship wrestle wrestler <laughs> that does it, yeah. You know, it's weird over the years my family rarely asked me about it superficially. My mom used to get worried when I left town. My dad would come to me and say, Hey, your mother worries about you, you better call home and stuff like that. So I was young at the time, but every woman I've ever been involved with rarely asked me about it. Every uh, relationship? Yeah. Cause I mean, they don't I've been with know. Becky for years and she, she rarely asks. Yeah. She, uh, you know, superficially.
0: Yeah. Like, what kind of questions? Just like, oh, you're you working or... Uh...
3: It'll come up like if I, if we're traveling somewhere and I say, oh, I've been here before, you know, why? Stuff like that. It's it's strange when I travel now, I'll go through towns so and I'll go, man, this looks familiar, and then I'll come back. Oh, I was here before, yeah. I went through that down south one time and uh, I was just floored because of where we were at. And I, I was looking around, I was like, I've been here. And I started telling the story and everybody just kind of walked away from me and I'm like, yeah, they don't care. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but,
3: yeah, you would think people would be more interested in it. They're just not so
0: much. I think it's, it's confusing weird. a little bit, uh, yeah. like the whole process of of
3: the job. Even my buddies, you would think all your buddies would be like, you know, I was 26, 7, 8, 9 years old doing this. And they yeah. were like, I'd come home and we'd go out partying and stuff, or and they'd come over to my house and ask superficial questions. When did you get back? Yeah. You know, how to go? That's it.
0: Not like, no. h- how'd you uh, tackle the offender? Yeah.
3: <laughs> it ended up being where I would kind of get like, it was like an emotional island kind of thing where, you know, I kind of started thinking, like, I, I kind of got what co- cops went through yeah. on a smaller basis. Sure. Because I didn't have anybody to talk to about it. I'd come home and I was just like, you know, whatever happened, happened. You know, and if it was something wild, I didn't have anybody just expressed that to so yeah. it was weird
0: so when did you get involved in it
3: I couldn't tell you what year it was but I was probably 26 26 or 7 and uh I just I wanted to start a business and I was looking into starting a process serving business and stuff and I ended up I knew a guy who knew a bondsman and the guy needed help and he was local and uh Kind of got into it through there, and then I went and got some training, and then I joined uh, an organization, which is uh, was a national organization, which was weird. This this guy who you you can look him up, Uh, his name is Bob Burton. He's he, he was touted. He was before Dog. He was touted as the world's best bounty hunter kind of guy. He was kind of a self promoter kind of guy. The weird thing is, is when you hear him, if you watch his videos and you and i i worked with him once and i spent some time with him on a few different occasions he's he's one of these guys that sounds like he's feeding you a line of shit all the time but he's not he he had shit to back it up and if you're familiar if people are into this are kind of familiar there was a guy named ralph thorson who was like the iconic bounty hunter of all time in the united states and Steve McQueen made a movie about him. It was Steve McQueen's last movie and LeVar Burton's first movie. Okay. Steve McQueen died after that. And Thorson was in the movie as a cameo as a bartender. But if you read about this guy, he was just a really phenomenal guy. He had like 13,000 arrests or something like that. It was just amazing. And uh, an interesting guy, well-educated guy, specifically moved to Los Angeles area to do this because of bail bond row. You know, you'd walk for blocks and blocks of just bail bond companies. Right. Everyone respected him. But, you know, Burton worked with him and had pictures with him and stuff like that. And he was, a, he was an interesting guy, too. Um, so Burton, you know, I think he was getting older and stuff. And in order to kind of have an income... you know because it's kind of a young man's game you get to a certain age you're like i don't want to leave home anymore i don't be chasing all the time yeah i can imagine so he's he started a school it was like a three or four day course where you would go and pay x amount of dollars and he would train you and it was good for what you know to help guys out that were starting and he started this national organization so they would put out newsletters and it would tell you do's and don'ts and things going on in the insurance industry because that's basically what you're doing is you're working for the insurance agency and um covered a lot of laws and the changing laws too because when i started out i would leave state and you had to research those laws now it seems easy by today's standards but back there's no internet Mm. so you know you had to do the footwork when i advertised speaking of no internet when i advertised i would order phone books from all over the country, and I would get these phone books, and I'd just tear out the bail bond section. So then I would send out envelopes with ads in them, mark them off on them, and save them so I knew who I sent them to and who I didn't. It was a lengthy process. Now you just go on the Internet.
0: You would send, like, your card to all the the bail bonds companies? Rolodex cards. Rolodex cards. Rolodex. Remember Rolodex? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So in in the hopes that someone from a different state would – would say I have a fugitive in in this guy's neighborhood, and now I know this guy because he mailed me something.
3: Yeah. Okay. I would blanket entire states. I would do a state at a time, and um, I would get like a 1% to 4% return.
0: No, that's pretty but good. the yeah.
3: idea is you advertise to other states so that when those skips come into your, your state, your area, they don't want to drive up here to get them. They'll hire you. You pick them up, take them down to them, and they pay, and then you drive home. Uh, if that's the way it happens to work out, which sometimes it doesn't, but if you're you know watching the show and you're interested, <laughs> you can look at YouTube or whatever and look at Bob Burton. He was an interesting guy. He he uh, he passed away. I can't remember a few years ago, and he had told me one time that his his father was a chemist and that he invented Mister Clean, the, oh, yeah. the detergent Mister Clean, and yeah. I'm like. What? Again, I'm like, this guy's full of shit. He's just pulling my leg, you know? It was in his obituary. Yeah.
0: Oh, really? <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah. He was an interesting guy. He he was an insurance agent, and and he just wanted some adventure in his life. And I think he was a former Marine, too. Huh. Um, he, he was in the service. I think it was Marines. But he um, he decided that this is what he wanted to do, and I think he went out and reached out to Thorson, and he, he got into it, and he got really popular. You know, I don't know about all the claims he made. I didn't know him that well. But I did know guys that knew him very well. So I ended up working for a guy in New Jersey by the name of Scott Churchill. And Scott's probably one of the best bounty hunters in the country. You haven't heard of him because he doesn't go on television shows or do any of that stuff. He's just no dog.
0: Dog the Bounty Hunter is the best in the country, obviously.
3: <laughs> well, it depends on who you talk to. <laughs> it, when, when Dog the Bounty Hunter gained real, a lot of notoriety when he was when he arrested Andrew Luster. Andrew Luster, I think that was his name. He was an heir to uh, some kind of uh, cosmetic fortune. And so I I don't think he was an heir, whereas he got, you know, zillions of dollars, but they they had him on some kind of a stipend where he got monthly, he got money, so he didn't have to work and stuff like that. He lived beachfront. So he had uh, brought these girls back to his house, these dates, and they would wake up. They had obviously been drugged and stuff like that. And They found out that he had been sexually assaulting him. So anyway, he, uh, he ended up with an ankle bracelet on, waiting for a court date, and he bolted. And um, Dog went after him. And that's kind of how he gained his notor- most of his notoriety. Actually, he might, I think he already had the show and stuff. But hmm. he went down to Mexico, and he grabbed him. Someone had called him and said, hey, I saw him at his resort. And, of course, remember I told you pe- people are creatures of habit? Yeah. He was, like, living in a bungalow by the water, just like he was in California. Well, he grabbed him, and they were going to take him to an airport and put him on a plane. There's no bounty hunting in Mexico. The laws of the United States don't follow you into other countries. You know what I mean? You have yeah. to abide by their laws. So you so he got arrested.
0: Oh, dog did? Yeah. He got oh, okay. thrown in jail.
3: There's, there's pictures of him pretty... Plumbed out sitting in a jail cell
0: because it's just kidnapping at that point. it's kidnapping
3: <laughs> absolutely so whether he's a fugitive or not so they actually I came across an article and they were asking Bob Burton you know Bob had had kind of promoted himself a little bit but he got real popular like I said I don't I, I don't know he he knew his business definitely knew his business but they asked him about dog and he said this is you know novice 101 he doesn't know what he's doing yeah and so a lot of guys in the industry are pissed at him that they this we don't conduct ourselves that way it's not right. professional and a lot of stuff he does i don't have a opinion either way much but um burton said what did he think he was going to do first of all he wasn't out on bail the way the only way a bounty hunter has any authority is if he's given a contract which is basically a power of attorney from the bail bondsman to act on his behalf mm-hmm. the reason behind that is if 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 you're out on bail um your bail bondsman may not be capable of coming after you to get you. Um, So they allow for that so that they can hire someone to go and do it. So as long as you carry those documents, and in most states it's a copy of the the agreement, the bond agreement with the signatures and everything, and um, a copy of the warrant, things like that and you know most citizens can't just walk into a police station and get a warrant that would come from the bondsman but anyway in mexico and he wasn't out on bail he had no legal authority to, to grab him at all yeah so i did see an interview with him one time and he said they said how did you get out of this how did you get out of that mexican jail and he said a lot of money <laughs> so he didn't make any money it cost yeah. him a fortune but then he goes on the show yep. on his own show and you know the rape victims call him up and just cry on the phone and he says i love you and i'm Glad I could help you and all that other good stuff. So it makes for good TV. Yeah, that's um, what I was gonna
0: say. Maybe a, more of a publicity stunt yeah, than anything.
3: Yeah, I think so. Um, but again, most of the guys that were hardcore in this business that you'll see that work every day or are full time, which isn't it's not rare, but it's not real common. Um, they conduct themselves differently than that. So why did uh, did you start doing this? Adventure really i hated my job when i was a kid what was your job uh you know i prepared poorly uh i got out of school and i just figured i always was confident and i said whatever i do i'm going to be good at it and this and that and i I didn't want to go to school i ended up going to college later on in life but um i said i'm going to do this just to i worked in a lumber yard for a while i would i would be working and guys would say uh you know, oh man, I can't wait till it's five o'clock or oh, it's only two o'clock or whatever. And I'd be thinking, you're wishing your life away, mm. you know, because you hate your job, you know, and just, I said, I got to get out of here. So in those jobs, I would be, you know, I wouldn't say I was a bad worker or anything, but I just didn't, my heart wasn't in it. When I went out and worked for myself, you know, that's when I made money and I, I did well. When I started my process serving business, you know, I got, I've been doing it for so long now I have all the attorneys in my area that I work for in, in out of state companies and s- companies from New York City and stuff like that and um through that, you just learn things from the legal field and you you know become friends with those people. The district attorney where I lived prior to being a district attorney married my ex wife and I hmm. you know stuff like that when I went into court uh to do with my pistol permit um I had to stand up in front of the judge and answer a bunch of questions. And um, he asked the district attorney, you know, do you have a problem with this? And he, he just knew me. He knew I wasn't, uh, you know, some goof trying to get a gun. Yeah. You know, kind of thing. The judge in my, where I live, actually sent legal precedent. He, he wasn't allowing, when, when officers retired, they could no longer carry their weapon. They would carry it to like target practice and stuff, but they couldn't open carry or anything. I have a, I have an open carry. I can carry my oh, weapon really? concealed. Also, yeah. Wow. And I, I'm not a huge gun guy, but I, you know, it's just a necessary tool. Right. You know.
0: So what did your your family and your friends think when you transitioned to this uh, this new job? Were they uh, like you said? They didn't ask many questions. No. Were they like nervous? Did they understand the danger associated with it? My brother
3: goes, "That doesn't even exist." <laughs> what are that's, you talking about? I thought thing. I was bullshitting him.
0: <laughs> I think it's from like the old west. Like yeah. I feel like I feel like every western's got a bounty hunter. Yeah. But I don't know about too many current movies.
3: And I'm like, no, it's it's a real thing. He's like, <laughs> Whatever. And then I disappeared and came back with some money in my pocket, and he's like, "Holy shit!" Um, I don't think anybody believed me, and I don't think anybody really took it seriously, and. You know, even now, my friends don't really ask me a whole lot about it, but um, they know that I've paid a mortgage and, you know, (laughs) I I paid child support for years and lived alone in a home and supported it. And I've been there 20-something years and they just figure the money's coming from somewhere, you know.
0: So so they believe you that uh, that you're doing
3: that. They just Yeah, uh, I just I don't think they have a concept of certain stuff.
0: I I think you're probably right. Do you think they just like accept is, accept you as having like this side that they don't even want to know yeah, about? Yeah, probably not.
3: I have I have a, <laughs> I have a friend who the last interest he has is anything to do with crime. This is, and I'm and he's a big sports guy. And I'm always like you can sit for an entire Sunday and watch football. It's a whole day. Yep. eat and drink beer and watch football all day long you wake up monday morning that has no effect on your life nothing it's just <laughs> purely entertainment in your face but crime affects you affects the people around you i don't know one person that isn't, hasn't been affected by drugs mm-hmm. alcohol worse robbery you know yeah people stealing from it it affects everybody and on yeah. a larger scale of course it does too
1: And we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors.
3: From DNA
0: testing to the Dixie Mafia, Crime Capsule brings you new stories of true crime in American history. I'm your host, Benjamin Morris. Join us for exclusive interviews with authors from Arcadia Publishing, writing the hottest books on the most chilling stories of our country's past. You can find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts, Or on evergreenpodcasts.com Crime Capsule History so interesting It's criminal Oh Canada A vast idyllic land Filled with beavers, loons, lumberjacks And polite friendly folks We have those things for sure But there's a darker side to the great white north Full of mystery, crime, the paranormal And dark history Join me, Mike Brown, and co-host Matthew Stockton every Monday for the Dark Poutine Podcast as we tell dark stories from north of the 49th parallel with the Odd Away Game covering more international cases. You can listen to Dark Poutine for free wherever you find your favorite podcasts. No matter how far you run from them, childhood tragedies have a way of catching back up with you. So is true of elite scuba diver Veronica West, who is about to encounter something unexplainable at the bottom of the ocean. Something that will draw her back to her home on Sinclair Island, Maine. There, she'll lead a dangerous rescue mission to the bottom of the Bay of Fundy, home of the world's largest tides, and something horrific down in the depths. Listen to Narcosis, the latest horror fiction show on Realm's premier horror channel, Undertow. Narcosis is available now. Search for Undertow or Narcosis wherever podcasts are served. Thanks to our sponsors, and now we're back to the program. So then tell me what, what is a typical day in your work day like now or then, uh, give me, give me then first and then now,
3: (laughs) then, um, I did it on and off. I did it on and off where for a long time, where I would go out and do a job and then come home and I had all my process serving business that I would go do and. It kept me busy and, and then I would get a call and I, you know, in the evenings I'd put together ads and throw them out and, as I could and, and uh, I'd get calls that didn't materialize into jobs and stuff like that. But I was pretty busy. I was probably doing one every week and a half or something like that, two weeks. And there's some travel time there and stuff like that. But the nice thing about it was if I went out on a job and it took three or four days, I'd come home, crash for a day or something. But then I could do what I wanted. I could go to my daughter's you know, school activities. I yeah. could go shop in the middle of the day. I'd go to a doctor's appointment. I could putter around the house. I'd go sit on my back deck and have beers. I could, you know, and then the next job would come up. And there's a little pre-planning before you leave the house. Because back then, you know, everything was done by phone and home phone and stuff like that, and calling contacts and call the local police stations wherever they were and ask around because usually you'd get some. You know, a lot of times you'd, not a lot of times, but some of the time you'd call up and they'd say, oh, he's locked up. Mm-hmm. And you would get a smaller percentage, but if you found him locked up and got proof so that the bondsman could get off the job, get off the bond, you'd still get paid. But it was a great way of living. The problem was after a while, and I did it full time for about two years, the problem was that after a while you just get sick of, I think that comes with age. You get sick of driving and just being on the road and you want to be home and you want to be with your girlfriend. You want to, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so there came a time about probably eight years ago where I, I stopped completely and then I would do them for locals. I did a few in like Utica and stuff like that. If I didn't have to go drive to mm-hmm. Pennsylvania or whatever, you know, yeah. Think about it. When you were young, that was an adventure. <laughs> sure. Like, woohoo, You know? So how many arrests would you say you made? I don't even know. Probably three, four hundred. Okay. I don't know that. You know, you talk about guys like Burton and them. Burton was had thousands under his belt. Yeah. Papa Thorson had thirteen thousand or something. I couldn't even guess. I'd have to figure it up, but.
0: But it's not like it's not like you just show up in town and there's a sign and you go, you know, you go follow the sign and pick up the person. Right, right. You have to find the person. It can get
3: convoluted. Yeah. Really convoluted. You can end up in totally different states. I had a job where I went to uh, Scranton, Pennsylvania one time and I ended up in Patterson, New Jersey before I really had spent much time in Patterson, New Jersey. It, it's time consuming and it costs money and it's, you know, and I was a young guy and have a lot of money at a mortgage I had child support I had bills. And, uh, but I did, it, I figured it out. Um, that's why guys that aren't, you know, guys that aren't good at it, that can't find people. That's the key. If you, you know, you can be a lot of things, but if you can't find people, then you're done. You're going to go out of the business. So how would you find people? literally back then a lot of it was knocking on doors yeah you know and it, and when we got into repos and stuff like that too a lot of it the best thing to do is just take that reference sheet and start knocking on doors we would have a problem where and it was always a discussion among the group that i worked with is that bondsman would take these applications and it would have you know your mother father sister brother and, and then it would have your address and all this information, your employment and all this other crap and friends as reference and stuff. Because information is everything if you're going to go find this person. But the bondsman would never check it, so he'd hand it to us. Everything would be bad on it. Nothing was true on it at all. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But uh, the guys that were good enough at it and knew that they might lose their shirt would sit there with the person's relative or whoever was bonding them out They'd go to the jail they'd have him figure it out he'd go back to the office fill it out he'd go back to the office make the calls go back and say try again you know oh, like really? yeah oh yeah no, the well. guy wanted to get out of jail he'd yeah. fill it out right you know so he'd just keep checking it till it was proper information but that's the best way to find people because when people are that when people are committing crimes on a regular basis and and when you talk to these big bail bondsmen where they're in a the city and the, they're bonding the same people over and over the years and their sisters and their brothers and their parents. And when you're that much of an asshole, <laughs> you always have a Judas. Yeah. Someone's always going to be mad at you. And they're, you, you, they stole from them or they did this to them or whatever. So that stuff is really important. Yeah. So
0: so someone will always turn on the person you're yeah, looking for.
3: Yeah, and see so you know where he is. He's gotcha. I've, I've had jobs work out like that where I, I never even met the person that I picked up. Well, I didn't pick him up. Um, the guy I work with now, Robert Nowak, he's, uh, he's my business partner now. We just do the process serving business. But over the years, he and I did a few together. One of them was for a local guy and and we went to a house and what it was was this 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 kid that jumped bail his mother's boyfriend they had lived together at one point and the mother and the son he jumped bail and they they left town first stop i made knocked on his door he comes to the door and i said i'm so-and-so and and i want to talk to you about so-and-so he goes i'll fucking tell you right where he is Mm -hmm. i go really he goes yeah and he was down south they had called him for some reason, said, Oh, we're staying at so and so's house, and then we're going to keep going on farther down south and stuff, but we'll be here till Friday or whatever. And he just basically said, Here it is. Here's the address. You get there before Friday, I'll be right in that house. <laughs> wow. I, called, I called the police down there and got a detective on the phone and said, Here's the deal. And don't, the kid, I had this huge problem with police for the longest time where if I did that, because it happened on more than one occasion, they'd go knock on the door and the person would go out the back door. Right. i how many times does this have to happen? So I, the guy thought I was insulting him. I said, make sure someone's covering the back door. Yeah. He's like, okay, sure enough. He called me and he said, we got him. He said, uh, I went around the back and my guy knocked on the front door and he ran right out the back into my arms. <laughs> Every time. <laughs> wow. Yeah.
0: yeah. It's just the car too, seeing the police car. Yeah, that, yeah. It probably doesn't help. But, yeah. th-
3: but you'd be shocked how many times they go to the door and knock on the door and the guy just walks out the back door. Yeah. So... um, yeah, and so I never even met the guy. Wow. And I got paid.
0: You know? Yeah. Okay, so uh, so you've sent us some some of your writings. You uh, you are writing. Uh, I, I think a, a book. A sort of you've sort of got a I, rough draft out there, I guess.
3: Yeah, I, I I used to write just because I enjoyed it, and I haven't in a few years. But I wrote like eight or nine chapters for a book.
0: Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, and uh, I think I think the writing is great, and the stories are incredible. And there's one that that Lance and I read a few months ago, and we've kind of been talking to you about uh, coming down here to to tell us this story um, for months now. Uh, so the, this one is called "Chasing Dragons by Moonlight." Do you want to? Uh, you mind going through this? Uh?
3: Yeah, that I I, you know, I wrote that just because I, I think it was out of boredom and stuff like that. Do, do something constructive and. It was kind of therapy, and I, you know, I was kind of getting out of it. I'd been out of it for a while, at least full-time and stuff. So it was fun to write, and um, you start realizing that, like, people, when they hear these stories, and not too many have heard this. I actually called Scott, Scott Churchill, my employer, to make sure that I could talk about certain stuff, because he's, and you know, I, I would never do that without running it by him. But, yeah. Um, People appreciate the stories for the re- other reasons than I do, which is funny. <clears throat> and when I tell a story, it doesn't sound the same as it does in writing, because when you write it down, you know you remember all little details and little things that happen and stuff. But that was uh, that was different. Most most of the jobs you get in that business, probably seventy percent of them, you go knocking the door and they answer the door. And that, and you, when you brought up dog. I watched that show a few times and i'm not putting him down i don't know much about him but um there's such a thing as if a bondsman knows you're going to leave town he gets wind you're going to leave town they don't you don't have to have jumped bail they can just go pick you up because they fear that you're going to leave certain states are different but so they'll go over to your house and say tim you know you're going back to jail what do you mean i'm going back to jail i didn't i didn't skip bail I, i my court date's not for another three weeks well We heard you're gonna get on a bus. Oh, I'm not gonna get on a bus. I'm not going anywhere. They'll just take you back to jail. Then they're off the hook. Yeah. So I watched his show a couple of times, and that's what he was doing. And they were crashing houses. I mean, you know, kicking in doors and screaming and surrounding the house and everything. And the guys on the couch going, "What? You know, I haven't done anything. I'm I'm sitting here on my couch watching cartoons. Right. So I thought that was kind of weird. But you run into all these different so, so instances. So when something like this happened, it was just really different. So that was out of New Jersey, and uh, the, the bondsman knew a bondsman I worked for, and and he had said, "Well, I got a guy in upstate New York," and he said, "Well, this kid is is heading for the border. He's heading for Canada. That's what his family says." And the family owns property up. It's kind of up. It's on the Canadian border. It's like by Messina, if you're familiar. It's, there's a, there's a reservation, Indian reservation up there and stuff. Okay. But you're getting up there, that's north of the Adirondacks, Pretty, pretty far up there. Yeah, it's on a waterway coming out of Lake Ontario and stuff like that. Okay. But it's.
0: Sounds uh, serene.
3: Yeah, you, you, I drove through the Adirondacks to get there, it's a, it's a long ride. Okay, so a
0: mountainous region too. Oh,
3: yeah. No, well, you get up in that area, you know, it's, it's different. I don't know about there, I mean, that's farther north than the Adirondacks, but the the weather in the Adirondacks can be nasty. But yeah. anyway, so when they said they were in a huge huff, they have to have them yesterday. So they overnighted me the package and trying to explain everything to me and tell me where the property is. Now, this is back before, you know, you can go on your phone and just follow it to wherever you're going or anything like that. You, you, I literally had, you know, the Atlas with it was for the whole state where it would have street maps and stuff. and. But if I left the state or if I got somewhere where I thought I needed a different map, you know, you'd go in any gas station, there'd be pulled out maps there. So, and that's the way we used to do that, keep and, it in the passenger side.
0: Right. And and so you said that they overnighted you a package. So yeah. it sounds like the beginning of a spy movie.
3: <laughs> <laughs> it was always, well, you have to have the documents you carry.
0: Okay. So they're so your documents or they they were it's the like contract?
3: The, yeah, it's the contract, that they, the, the, the skip signs, you know. Uh-huh. Because when they sign that, they're agreeing to be seized at any time okay. in any state. You're allowing them to break and enter your home, me, once I get my, I have to have my power of attorney. So they're agreeing to have their vehicle searched, um, all kinds of stuff, and then they send you the warrants and then they send you their history if they have it and stuff like that. And, Information on the person. Yeah. He had been with this bonding company for a long time, so they knew him. Yeah. yeah,
0: And they knew him as a uh, sort of a bad dude. Yeah. And he was a big guy with a
3: big tattoo on his back. He he was a twin, and this uh, Scott ran into this too once. Scott ran had a job where the twins. One of them had a tattoo on his head, so they literally shaved the guy's head to look at his tattoo. So he'd say, "I'm my brother. I'm my brother." He goes, "Yeah, you know, take it, <laughs> take your hair off." But this guy, he said, "You're gonna know the difference." He goes, first of all, it'll if you find him, it's him because his brother's not gonna run up there." But he has a tattoo on his whole back now of a dragon. That's how you know. It's definitely him. So I take the directions and I drive up there. It's the middle of God awful nowhere. What time of year? It was like in the fall. And I uh, had to find a, a, a road that eventually turned seasonal. And then it basically turns into like a path. And the path goes out eventually to this family's hunting cabin. And the cabin, you know, it was a thing, I think, where their parents or parents of parents had used it as a hunting camp, and then the generations after just didn't want didn't deal with it. But they stole on the property. So... So
0: very secluded cabin yeah, in the woods. Yeah, it was middle
3: of fucking nowhere. So I get up there. I find this little road. You know, they told me what road to go on. And you find this little road. And it'll run off into a seasonal road or whatever. So I ditch my car, state land, and I just... I had a, like a hunting vest, so I just dressed like a thermal shirt and a sweatshirt and this vest because the vest had a ton of pockets and I put protein bars and water and shit like that.
0: It's like an orange vest for no,
3: no? it's like okay. a brown one. I oh, okay. I don't hunt actual animals, so I don't right. know, but I bought one. Yeah, because it was cool when I'd go fishing. Maybe that's what it's for. It had tons oh, okay. of pockets and yeah. you know things in the back and stuff. So I had a knife, a handgun. Protein bars, water, shit, duffel bag with you know a couple of things in it. I had uh, those rain uh, like ponchos, a little poncho, cheap, yeah. but you can put them over keep your keep you warm and shit. You know, the the reflective ones and stuff. You know, the guy they didn't know how far in the cabin was. They just said you know you're gonna have to walk in until you see it on an adjacent hill and all this. I'm like, oh fuck, <laughs> how to get? And, and as soon as I started walking. I'm not a real fan of that. You know, I'm like, I shouldn't have taken this job. So, but it was, to me at the time, it was a lot of money. So I walked and I walked and I walked and I, it seemed like I was walking in circles. I got a little lost. The, the trail just petered out. I mean, it was just like a seasonal kind of road, if you know, if you're familiar with what that is. And then, then it was just kind of like a trail and then it was nothing. But eventually I saw it. It's just a shit little, uh, shack on the side of a hill so i got within like 25 yards of it and on the side i was on was just a fireplace you know the outdoor part of it mm-hmm. and there's no windows or anything so if you went around the front of the cabin you looked at it there was a door there was a window and a window on either side so i sat there and i waited there's a book bag in the front of me. obviously somebody somebody's there there's a book bag out on the front of the thing lights on inside there's no power there's oh, okay. no nothing i think it was just an empty cabin you know okay so he comes out and he lights a cigarette and i just sat there and watched him he sat there for a little while and uh you know i, I always thought how how does he think he's gonna get into canada when you get up in that area, there's a, there's a waterway there, and there's all these little islands and stuff like that, but it's not easy. He's, I don't know how, how he thought he would do it. That reservation is known for human trafficking, or was, and for, uh, I think it's Hogansburg, known for bringing weed down from uh, Canada and stuff real bad and stuff. Mm-hmm. So eventually, you know, it starts getting dark out and stuff, and I'm thinking, fuck.
0: Yeah, what were you thinking? Like,
3: how were you? It was late in the day by the time I got up there.
0: You So you, you said you were wondering how he was going to get into Canada, but I'm wondering what your plan
3: was to get him. No plan. No plan. <laughs> <laughs> no plan, not much of a plan. Yeah. So, you know, that's another thing too. I, I wasn't some worldly guy. I was a kid, you know, and I figured uh, point a gun at him, he'll come with me, you know. <laughs> that, that's the kind of concept you have. Oh, television, everything works out well, you know. So, he went inside. Started getting dark, and uh, he started a fire. You see smoke coming out of the chimney and stuff. It was just a little shit cabin. It's probably as big as this room, you know. <laughs> so I waited and I waited, and I'm thinking, oh, fuck! I'm gonna have to sleep next to a tree or something, you know. Started getting dark. Started getting dark. It's getting cold, but the moon was out, really bright. I mean, you could I could see well. I was shocked. It was really creep, kind of creepy, but I was glad. So next to the cabin, I mean, at some point there must have been someone must have done some kind of maintenance on it, but there was a wooden ladder there. So I waited till it got dark enough, and I put my ladder up, and I took my book bag and I went up and put it over the flue, over so the it, so chimney, so blocked the chimney. I had worked with my brother. My brother had a chimney sweep business, and um, kind of understood, yeah, you know how fl- flues work, but. Uh, so I just walked away, and I went around and stood in front of the cabin. I was probably I'm probably 40 feet. I'm really bad at distances like that. But it was woods, you know, so I was standing in the woods looking at the cabin. And I'm I'm thinking it's comical, but at the same time, the tension's kind of building because he had lanterns going, uh-huh. so you could kind of see light. You know, it was lit up. I mean, it was just a room with... T- two windows and a door
0: right it's almost like a stage at that point yeah. where you can see right in yeah he's
3: lit and i could see him moving no around even though the light was kind of throwing weird from his from his uh from the lanterns but i could at least see him he couldn't see me either. he still had no idea you were there no so waited and i waited and i'm thinking oh man his tension's starting to build you know he's gonna come out of there and he's gonna think he's got something wrong with the chimney and i'm gonna have to do something i have to think of something you know <laughs> he's he's got to have a fucking gun or something. The kid was wild. He's got to have a gun. He comes out. He opens the door, and it was fucking comical because it's like, I could see him well enough to shoot him if I had to, <laughs> I wish I wasn't going to. But I could see him as a form because of the moonlight and stuff. And you could see smoke coming out when he opened the door, and he's bitching. He knew I had something wrong with the chimney, so I started yelling at him. You know, don't, you know, don't move this, that, and the other thing. And, it, and I couldn't see him well, but I could see him like freak out because someone was yelling at him. I mean, he's in the middle of fucking nowhere, man. How, how, who's yelling at me? And uh, <laughs> so he goes back in the cage, slams the door. You see him darting around in there, you know. I'm thinking, what's he going to do? Eventually, he comes to the door or, or the window on my left and he starts pulling off shots. And you could hear him going through the trees and stuff, you know, hitting branches and knocks and stuff. He he's just, shooting in the distance, just randomly. He didn't, he didn't know where I was, and I wasn't, I was behind a tree, just standing there watching. So I'm watching him. He's kind of scrolling around in the cabin. Comes to the other side, does the same thing. You can hear rounds going off. So I could tell, I was didn't want to hurt him or anything. I could tell he was on the side of the cabin. So I planked this side of the cabin a few times. When it's that quiet and there's nothing around, it's fucking loud. It sounds loud to you, you know. So I'm thinking, what am I gonna do? How do I get him out of here? Is he just gonna sit in there and do this all night? And the fucking guy took off and he ran like a deer, like a gazelle, at an angle. And it's hard to see him. I mean, I could see him in the moonlight, but he ran like hell and he was gone. He was in the woods. And I thought, how do you get out of this so easy? You know, yeah, yeah. My mouth's open. I'm watching him. He's gone.
1: And we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's.
3: Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary, cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba
1: da ba ba ba. Kickoff
3: for Super Bowl 34.
2: The Titans Rams 2000 Super Bowl, an instant classic. By Dyson. Can he get it? Hours after the game, two men were stabbed in the street, accused of being in the middle, the greatest linebacker in NFL history.
3: Ray Lewis and two friends are charged with murder
2: the nation's eyes were glued to their televisions. The trial concluded and the verdicts came back, not guilty. What you can learn from all this is that big cases make for big mistakes. Look what happened in O.J. Simpson. And look what happened in Ray Lewis. Lewis went on to have a Hall of Fame career, but questions around that night in Atlanta still remain. So what do you think they're hiding? They know what happened. They know exactly what happened. After 20 years, it's time to get to the bottom line truth. From Tenderfoot TV, I'm Tim Livingston, and this is The Raven. Listen for free on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. For ad-free listening and early access, subscribe to Tenderfoot Plus on tenderfootplus.com. I'm Samantha Cole, host of the new season of Understood, The Pornhub Empire.
0: So you kind of had him trapped or cornered, I yeah, guess. Yeah, I
3: thought I did. Yeah,
0: <laughs> and yeah. Uh, and so he was firing
3: at you. Yeah, there was no though... back door on this little shit cabin. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like a shed. And he goes, he's gone. So I could hear him crashing around in the woods. So I I just followed him, and I'm thinking, how there's no way I'm gonna be able to follow this guy through the woods. It wasn't that difficult. I could hear him when he would start moving. I could hear him breaking shins when he first went in it was awful it sounded like he was just terrified he was crashing through shit running into trees and stuff. oh yeah he could you know he could, you could see you could see to get through the woods with the moonlight and stuff but i wouldn't want to be running yeah you know you run into a tree head first or you don't know where your footing is if you're gonna fall or whatever so anyway he uh i followed him all night and it was real slow moving and everything and he would stop and he would stop for long periods of time, but I thought if he walked away and I didn't hear him, what am I going to do? There's nothing I can do. He's just he's just going to walk away. But then a little while later, I'd hear him.
0: So he would stop for just like to sit down for a few minutes. He would stop. I
3: would just you wouldn't hear him anymore. So he was trying to hear you. He was you probably maybe? yeah, probably he was probably. I am a real bad judge of distance. He's probably fifty, sixty feet in front of me. Jesus, it sounds then, like so close. Yeah, it's pretty close. And then, and he could hear me. I know he could. Cause you can't, when you're walking in the dark like that, you can't avoid stepping on stuff. You know, you're going to make noise. And it's quiet. And, um, so eventually he got to an area where it was, the best thing he could have done was turn around and come towards me. Yeah. Cause it would have freaked me out and I would have left. I would have tried to get away, but he got to a field. He was kind of a little below me and I could see him as a form, you know? And I watched him walk across the field, and I kind of tried to keep up with him a little bit on the side. And there was trees here and there amongst it and stuff. But eventually, when he got to the other side, I heard him go through a creek, and I thought, oh, man. Because once he got in the water, I thought, he's going to hear me. He's just got to wait on the other side when he hears me go through the water. He'd just shoot or something. So I ended up getting up to the creek, and I'm watching. I saw him down the creek as a kind of a form. You know, I couldn't see him well, but I thought, well. I better just do a run of it. I'm going to go. I'm going to go. I couldn't do that now, by the way, at this age. Yeah. But it was like up to my knees and I ran across, about 30 feet wide, I ran across it. So you just like sprinted. Oh, yeah. Slippery rocks. You know, you're just running, doing the best you can and stuff. Water's kicking up. It sounds like it sounded so loud considering, and I'm just waiting for gunshots, you know, nothing. So I'm thinking, does he, can he not see me or. Is he just scared, or does he not have any ammo, or does he just doesn't want to waste it? So, as the night went on, and I'm thinking, the worst part about it was I was thinking, I, I, there's no one to call. You, I don't have a phone, and you're out of range anyway. Yeah, it's miles the, from the, there anyone, was no right? phone. I didn't have a phone at the time. There was no first responders. There's no flashing lights. There's no street lights. There's no nothing. You know, you just some desperate dude. So, eventually, he got into an area that was like, it was flat, and I could see him. It was starting to get a little bit light out that first first gray of the morning, you know. And I would see him, and he looked like he was exhausted. He was really tired, so I would call out to people, you know, he's heading your way, and <laughs> yeah, I was okay. fucking with him. Wait a
0: second. So this this was late now. At this point, like oh, a, this is all night daybreak. So you had yeah. followed him for hours. Oh
3: yeah. Oh yeah.
0: Through the woods, through the cold Adirondacks. Yeah. Trying for trying to not get uh, the tables turned on you, so to
3: speak. You, the funny thing was is I was tired. I was exhausted. But I'm I knew tired just listening to I, I this. knew it was coming. I had I'm like munching protein <laughs> bars and you know, stuff like that. You know, I was a little younger than him. He didn't know it was coming, he ran out of there. I didn't know how well he was dressed or anything. He had a handgun, that's all I knew. Yeah. But he was fucking tired. When I saw him walking, I, he was meandering along like he was exhausted. And I go, you know, Billy's coming to your way, you know, and just keep doing that shit to him, and he could tell he was getting fucking spooked. <laughs> so oh God. you can hear the birds start chirping and shit. Morning's coming out, you know. Birds start chirping, it's starting to get lighter, starting to get lighter. Not a big morning person, by the way. <laughs> so we ended up walking down to... He just kind of disappeared, and I realized he'd walked over a hill. So I get up there, and he had gone down a hill, and it was a gravel road. So I kind of got partway down the hill, and I was watching him, standing behind a tree watching him, and he walked out into the middle of the road, and he just laid down on his back. (laughs) He just laid there. Like, what the fuck's going on? He's tired, you know. So I worked my way down to where I was in the tree line, and I go, what are you going to do now? He said, I'm done fucking done and i I could see his hands he didn't have a gun but i kept thinking he's gonna try to do something yeah i'm gonna get close maybe he's laying on the gun or something right nope he was done so i just walked up to him (laughs) he's fucking laying there what (laughs) are you you gonna do (laughs) so i handcuffed him got ready to leave and he's looking around come on let's go and i'm thinking what? i don't know where the fuck to go I don't know where I am. Yeah. So I'm thinking, all right, if I go this way and I just keep turning left, I'll get back. I'm trying to make sense of this, right? Or if I go this way and I just keep turning right, I'll get back to my car eventually. It seemed to make sense, you know? And he goes, well, you know, wait for the others. And I go, I ain't no others, dude. It's just me. And he was shocked. He was still looking up at the trees. It's just you. It's just me, dude. <laughs> he was best, too. And we get up the road. And I'm like, fuck, I don't know how far i got to walk. And a car pulled up with a guy and a kid in it. He's like, everything all right? <laughs> and, you know, walk up this. Ch- I had long hair at the time, real long hair at night. Walking a dude up the road with handcuffs on, you know? Yeah. And, uh
0: Did you have a gun pointed at him at this nah, point? No. Nah. Yeah. He's and he's given up. Like, yeah, uh, he's in handcuffs. So he's he not in, trying he to get, struggle. He's
3: exhausted and he's got handcuffs <laughs> on. <laughs> you know? He's been walking all night through the woods. He's got oh, scrapes God. and cuts all over his face and shit in his arms. So the guy goes, Well, let me take my kid home drop him off i'll come back and i'll give you a ride he asked me where my car was and i told him and he said all right yeah you just keep going around but he goes it's quite a walk he goes you'd be walking for a while (laughs) and he never came back oh wow and then another guy came along did he call the police no no just never came back he probably got home and his wife probably said the (laughs) fuck you're gonna go help him you (laughs) know what the hell are you talking about somebody walking somebody down the street with (laughs) handcuffs
0: did you tell him you were a bounty hunter yeah i
3: I told him what was going on he seemed to believe you at the time yeah yeah He was okay with it, but I could just imagine he got home and his wife goes, What the (laughs) fuck are you talking about? So another guy came along and he ended up giving us a ride a little ways. He knew where he was fine with it. I showed him ID and stuff like that. But that was just that that was different in a learning experience because it was like I said, most people you go to their door and they open the door. And the other thing the the just huge realization that there's nobody here to help you. There's nothing. There's not even a street like you know, a lot of people talk about liking to camp and do this and do that and do the other thing. And But a lot of those people that I talk to, they go to campsites where there's people 40 feet away or something. You know, you're you're out in the middle of nowhere where there's nothing. You can't see your hand in front of your face kind of gig. And there's no help if you fall on your knife or roll down a hill or something. You know, that's, right. If you that's,
0: twisted an ankle, yeah. it was yeah. over.
3: And I didn't, I don't know what the hell I was thinking I was going to do, but I was young, you know, and it was. The adventure I was looking for, I guess.
0: Quite an adventure. And then so uh, there's sort of a punchline at the end of this story where you were at a a cookout years later with uh, your friend Scott Churchill.
3: Yeah, this is a few years later at least. And um, we go to this cookout and it's like <laughs> bail bondsmen, PIs, COs, you know, all these different people. They all knew each other and. And I was sitting next to a corrections officer, and we're eating, and I'm talking, and I realized he worked where this guy would have been locked up, where I thought he would have been locked up. And I said, hey, do you know him? And he goes, yeah, I know him. He's dead. Go, well, he's dead? What do you mean he's dead? Because he wasn't that old. I'm like, yeah, you know. He said he had thyroid, some kind of cancer, thyroid cancer or something. But he goes, he was a fucking nut. I go, yeah? He goes, yeah. He, told, he used to tell me all this wild shit. I go, yeah? He goes, one time, he told me a bounty hunter lit his house up because he knew we were bounty hunters. He was telling me a bounty hunter lit his house on fire and chased him through the woods all night. I was <laughs> standing there looking at him. I go, "Well, I didn't light the house on fire. I just covered the chimney up." And he he didn't know what to say. He like had food in his mouth. He's like, "That was you? <laughs> yeah, that was me, dude." <laughs>